Front row. Well, good morning, everybody. Whoa, hey. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> All right. It's always such a huge traffic jam trying to get up to the front here, and I like that. Um, man, welcome. I keep meeting uh, people from Gunnison that are here, and I just thank you guys for coming all the way up. Um, super cool. Just appreciate that effort, and hopefully you feel a part of this body and loved on, and if you don't, meet somebody. Make sure that um, you say hi to somebody, too. Also, a big thank you to our two wonderful women who led us this morning. Can we just say thank you? Uh, yeah, fall break is just, you know, scatter. Everybody just scatters, so... Um, thank you for, for doing that. We really appreciate it. So, you know, most, many of you know I've had this, I've been recovering from this uh, major broken leg deal. And uh, so, actually my therapist, is my physical therapist, not the other kind, is here today. Um, so I have to stand on both feet this whole time, right? See, and yeah, work on those muscles. So I'll be doing that for sure. Uh, so in the, from, I mean, from the minute I got hurt till, till now, I've had, you know, especially when I was laying in bed for weeks, I was thinking of all the things I wanted to share with you guys and stories, things that happened, you know, whatever. And so one of them I've just been holding on to, uh, it, it will help us uh, start off this morning, but, um, I, you know, I fell off my bike up on Lupin, which, uh, you know, was no big, you know, it was not a big wreck or anything but it caused some major damage. So I'm laying there on the side of the trail, curled up in a ball, and I'm waiting for the, uh, the, the uh, ambulance to get there. And I'm hoping it's going to be somebody I know. Uh, it turns out it was, and since I'm not restricted by HIPAA, I can tell you. Um, it was my friend Tina, Kip, Tina Kempen. Um, so many of you know her. She's wonderful. I was so glad to see her. She came up and she goes, hello, we're going to help you. You know, I said, oh, I'm, hey, Tina, it's Scott. And she goes, oh, sorry. You know, so she came and they gather around me and start helping. And, and so I'm, I can't move. And the whole time I'm up there, uh, I had to wait a couple hours before they actually got to me. And I, I was like, I'm going to need some help to walk. Like, you know, in Rambo and stuff, he just, he breaks his leg and gets shot and he still walks. Okay. And I really thought that. I said, they do this, I can do this. And I could not do it. And so anyway, I, I don't know what that means about me. But um, I couldn't get up and I, I yeah, normal. I, I thought, well, I need help to walk. I cannot walk. I cannot get out of here. So um, Tina comes up and they, they gather around and make sure I'm, you know, not bleeding or anything. And then she says, we're going to give you some, some medicine to ease the pain. I'm like, thank you. And especially before they move me. And she, uh, she said, we're going to give it to you in, in your nose. And I was like, fine, whatever you want to do. And so right, she's right in front of me, really close. And I'm thinking, great, anything, just get this going. And she pulls out this giant syringe right in front of my face. And I can't see really very well up close. And I can see the hole in the needle. It's giant. And I'm like, so my eyes just roll back in my head. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I guess that's going to feel worse than this. So, okay. I thought she's going to shove that up in my head and give me a shot. I was, I was like, okay. But if that's what you got to do, Tina. And so she squirts the stuff out. I'm like, oh, God. I'm just really like sweating it. And then she just puts this little cap on it that aspirates it, you know, puts it up in your head. Like, oh, I felt so much better. That made me feel better right there. 
So they were able to stretch me out and, and you know, get me back uh, down to the hospital. And, you know, since then, many people have invested in helping me be able to, to walk again. And that's been great. And I actually am going to tie this to the message because... <laughs> The passage we're in in Ephesians is where Paul says, and if you've ever read Ephesians, you, this has probably jumped out at you. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. It's, it's from Ephesians chapter 4. And in this spot in the letter, it, it, Paul turns a corner. He, he moves from uh, telling us information that we need to know that goes into our head and into our hearts about the hope we have in Jesus the, the stuff we need to be filled up in that relationship. He turns from that in the first three chapters. It's all information. And then he turns and he says, now, this is what it looks like in the real world. And so the next couple of chapters, that's what he's going to be telling us. And he starts off almost like a coach. He says, okay, let's go. This is what it looks like. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to explain it to you. Go out there and live like this. So that's where we are. So I th- did we get the verses working? So we're going to have those. Okay. So Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 is where we're going to be. And I really, uh, when I read the book of Ephesians and as I've been studying it, I think it is such an appropriate book for people who live in and love the town of Crested Butte. Uh, and I've said this before, I'll probably say it again, because uh, the, the place of Ephesus, the place Paul's writing to, is a place where there are where it's very religious. There are, uh, I can't remember how many temples, but there are a bunch of temples to different gods, and people are religious there. They, they believe that there's something bigger than themselves. And I honestly believe most people in Crested Butte believe there is something bigger than themselves. You find that, whether it's nature or anything else, uh, there's something that they're looking for and we're looking for. And so uh, the, the thing is that, that Paul's writing into this community where um, the, the Christians are feeling like they're alone. Okay, they're, in a, they're in a place where, at best, what they're feeling is, well, maybe antagonistic uh, feelings from the community, or at least indifferent, right? And if you've been around here very long, that's kind of the feeling you get about Christianity in general. It's like, okay. You know, it's really not on, it's not really on the, if you want to call it the buffet of things we're choosing from. We're choosing from just about anything but Christianity. And that leaves us as believers going, okay, now why is that? How do we get to that place? How, where, do, where does my faith fit in that? So if you're like me, you, uh, you have periods of time where you have a lot of confidence in, in Christ. You're like, yes, I am absolutely confident. I feel very strong. I feel like, and I know deep inside there's a confidence and belief. And then you have these moments where you feel like you're absolutely on the outside, just socially or in the community or, or in a relationship with somebody, or most of us have a lot of friends who aren't believers, who are indifferent towards our faith. And, and, I, when, and for me, I feel like, okay, it's, a, it's kind of a hollow, like lost sort of feeling. But here is the thing that I want you to hear from what Paul says just in these first verses, just these six verses right here, that I think is, should be very encouraging to us, especially if we live in or love Crested Butte. Living our faith in Jesus is relevant in our culture. Okay? So this is the thing I'm trying to say to you today. Living our faith in Jesus is relevant in our culture. Here and anywhere, but here. Okay, since we're all here today, and we're all going to be out in this place this afternoon, here. 
So three things about that that I'll try to unfold for you as we walk through this. The way Paul unfolds this story is going to show us how it's relevant. It's relevant because it's living. It's relevant because it's impossible. And it's relevant because it's undivided. Okay, so that's the points I'm going to follow. Living, relevant, living, impossible, and undivided. And, and before we jump in and read the passage, I, I want to say this, um, or ask, ask you this question. As we're reading, and as I'm sharing the thoughts that I think Paul's sharing from this with us, as if we were Ephesian people, um, what if we lived our faith in Christ like he's talking about? I'm just going to set you up with that question in advance so you can be asking yourself as we go along. What if we lived like he describes Christianity in this passage? What would that mean to this town, to your communities, wherever you come from? So be thinking about that as we go. So Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in the the one hope that belongs to you, to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And Paul gets on a tear. It's like, you know, look out. And this is just the beginning. I think the, the passage before this is like two chapters of one sentence because he just can't stop. He's just so passionate about it. And, he, and he's starting a new section here. Like I said, this is a new thought. The new thought of this is what it looks like in the real world. This is why your faith is relevant. So the first thing, it's, it's relevant because it's living. If you look at uh, verse 1, he says, I urge you to, to walk in a manner worthy. Well, that, that word walk that Paul used, it, it equally means to live. So it's the same word. In some translations, it'll say, you may have this, you may be looking at it yourself, that we, he says, live in a manner worthy. It's the same word. And it's a metaphor that we really understand. If I say, hey, you need to walk, or we should walk like this, you know, spiritually or in something, we get that. Um, it, it translates through the, through the generations. But it's important to know that Paul's saying it, it's something that is alive. And there, there are two reasons I think that Paul says that. That he says, it is alive and it matters and walk or live according to this calling. One is because it matters to God how we live. It just flat out matters to him. So Paul is saying, hey, it matters to God. So how you live is important. What it looks like in the real world, the stuff you know, the stuff I've told you, it matters in the real world. It matters to God. That's that's the first thing. And I think it's probably obvious to all of us. But the second part of this is it's very practical because it matters to other people. It matters to others how we live our faith. Would you agree with me? It matters to them. And we have to have sort of that preposition that proposition to start with, it matters to those who are around us how we walk, how we live our faith. One thing I've noticed with this injury is that um, people notice or pay attention to how you walk. 
And if you've, already, if you've had something like this or whatever, people notice. And I've had a long period of time to go through this, especially my therapist um, notices how I walk. So, like, in fact, uh, the other day I was in a parking lot and there was a guy and he was walking like this through the parking lot. We were the only two people coming at each other and my leg was hurting and I was going like this. <laughs> so we were like, gave each other a high five and kept on going. <laughs> But it's, it's weird how people, I'll see people look and notice, you know, they're not going, that guy's good looking. They're going, that guy walks weird. Okay, that's what's happening in that. I notice them look. I know, it matters how people notice how we walk. They notice how we walk actually physically, but they also notice how we walk. And if there's anything I have been aware of moving here in this smaller community, people People are watching Christians. If they know that you're a Christian, they're watching you. And so part of Paul's thing in this, this, is that he wants us to know that, that it matters to God, it matters to other people how we walk because it's relevant to them, because it matters. It's truly meaningful. It's not just an example or something. It is important to them. It means something. It's very important. Um, now, there's one thing that we can't s- skip over when we look at the first part of this passage. I don't know where all of you are faith-wise, but something that it should have jumped out at you, especially if you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, you've read this a bunch of times and you read, you know, you would read over stuff and we're like, oh yeah, check, you know, we don't think about it very deeply. But at the beginning of this, Paul says, I'm, I'm there, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live in a man. Now, if you, if you really read that as someone who's coming to the text for the first time and someone says, hey, I'm a prisoner of God, now live like this, you're like, what are you talking about? That doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Let's be honest. Why is Paul saying that? Well, for one thing, Paul is a prisoner. Okay, so you know, that's part of it. He's, he is a prisoner. He, he's incarcerated right now as he writes this letter to encourage these people. Right? When you think about this guy, Paul, how bold he was in the fact that he's writing this amazing stuff, incarcerated. Pretty cool. But the, the other piece of that is that, that Paul is, um, he, he, he's writing to this, to this uh, let me make sure I'm in the, the right place. Um, as, as a prisoner, he's saying, I am content and even happy to not go outside the bounds of my relationship with Christ. I am filled up and living within what somebody might even call a prison, like the boundaries of knowing Christ. He is, he is okay with that. And we, are, we should be okay with that. that with, there, is a, there is something that, that protects and binds us within that relationship. And Paul is okay in that space. So when he says, I'm a prisoner, it doesn't mean I'm down and everything's horrible. It means something completely different to Paul. I think that's important for us to gather around in our minds. So our faith is relevant because it is living. Live this way matters. Our faith is living and makes it relevant to people that we come in contact with. But it's also relevant because it's impossible. It's impossible. Um, And Paul sets us up for failure in this passage. It's almost like he gives a kind of a coach's pep talk, and then he tells everybody how to do what they're going to do. This is what it looks like. And if you look at uh, verse 2... Here's the impossible part. Walk or live with all humility and gentleness, 
patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I'll just look at you guys who are married in here. I I already messed this up just yesterday, okay? Just yesterday with humility and gentleness and the bond of peace with Claire. I'm like, something I I just, uh, you know, it is impossible to do this. All humility, live this way, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, maintaining unity in the bond of peace. That's what it looks like to live out our faith. It's not, he's going to start talking about the gifts that, he's, that God's given us a little later in this chapter. We live out these things, uh, these specific gifts he's given us, but right now he's talking about the core, the baseline, what it is that we're about just as Christians at the very core, the very, the deepest part. And the first one he says there is humility. And the, the thing about that is the word that modifies it comes right before it, all humility. Doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, couldn't he have said, you know, just be humble most of the time? Or, you know, in some situations, you know, he, he, he doesn't do that. And I went back because uh, I thought I should and just made sure that the people who translated this didn't add that word in there. And it is there all. And it looks as if that word all modifies, and I don't know if your translations show this, but modify each of the following things, the patience and so forth. All, like complete. Now that, that's just not possible. We just don't, we don't do that. If you're transformed by Christ, if he's living in you, well, we're, we understand that. We see the value of it. But has it happened? Are we there? Um. That um, when Paul says be humble, here's another aspect of it. It's not just all humility, but when he says that into this community and this culture, being humble was only a trait that a, that a slave was supposed to have. We read that and we're like, oh yeah, humility, that's good. That's kind of elevated. That's, you know, that's what good Western thinking service oriented people do. We're, we're humble. We think about other people first, you know? We have to understand that in that culture, when he said, be completely humble, that the readers were going, this is a shock. And people outside the church would have been especially shocked by that idea, to be completely humble. Uh, I'll just be honest with you about weddings. I struggle officiating a wedding. And a lot of it's because you know, I'm standing there with a groom who's like all excited. And here comes the bride and she's all excited. And they're coming together. And I just, I have the way I think is I just think down the road. <laughs> I just can't be in the moment. I can't do it. I'm like this, what could this be? What might this be? What's going to happen? You know, and sometimes I've met, you know, met with them like, we've never argued, you know, that kind of thing. I'm like, you know, it's coming here, you know, um, <laughs> Or maybe, maybe it's coming. I know some of you don't argue with your wife. But so when I stand there and I'm talking to them, I have this conflict within me. I'm hopeful for them and I'm praying for them and I'm trying to encourage everyone to stand beside them and, and walk with them in marriage. But as we all know, marriage is extremely difficult. But it's incredibly, uh, it's an incredible thing that God has provided. There's this, in, in, the, in the blessing outweighs by far. But still, I just, I just, 
can't help but see it all right in front of me. And, and the girls always have those doe eyes of like, oh, I'm so in love. And I'm like, this guy smells bad. I can smell him right here, you know. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I don't even know. I like that smell. A lot of you girls know what I'm talking about. The reality set in at some point. I always, many of the weddings I've done lately, I use this passage from Colossians, which is Paul saying the same thing. And he says, I I love how he says it. He says, hey, when you come into contact with another person, and I point to them especially, especially with your spouse, when you come into contact, he says, he gives this list like clothing. He says, I think it's Colossians 3, uh, 5 or so, but he says, um, put on forgiveness and gentleness and kindness and uh, and over all of that stuff, put on love is like the overcoat, okay? So when you come into space with each other in relationship, this is supposed to be for all believers, by the way. When you come into, the, into space, the first thing that the other person sees is love. It's the first thing. And if that wasn't there, the next thing they would see is, I can't remember the order, but gentleness and humility. And just keeps getting pulled in like these layers. And the last layer, I think, is forgiveness like God forgave you. Now, can you imagine if you really related to your significant other, your spouse like that? We'd be amazing. And if we interacted with each other in that way as believers, be amazing. It's kind of getting back to that what if question I was asking a little bit earlier. I mean, what if we were known for that? But here's the deal. It is impossible to do these things. You cannot do it. I cannot do it. We all know that we are broken and we're messed up. The, the only way that this happens is when we abide in Jesus. He, Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of this. He says, you're, you're grafted into me when you become a believer. I'm the vine. And when you're grafted into me, you're going to produce fruit. I'm going to fill you up. I'm going to give you real life, real hope. A real meaning, a real meaning for existence. You're grafted. This is who you are now. When we abide in Jesus, that fruit is produced. And if people were to see that, like between each other and the people in our town, in our communities, wherever we live, what our family, our workplace, our dorm, classroom, wherever we are, if that's what they, they were to see, this humility, all humility and gentleness and patience, would not that be transformative? Because it's impossible, it becomes relevant. Because when people see that and they know it's not possible, aside from something greater than yourself that's transforming you, they will be drawn to that thing. And that that thing is one person, and that's Jesus. Okay, it's relevant because it's undivided. If you look at verse 4, you'll see this, uh, 4 and 5. There is one body, Paul uses this word several times, one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So I did go back and look at the original language that Paul wrote in, and he does say one multiple times. He's very much emphasizing the idea that there is one. So let me speak to you. If you're a believer in here, I'm, just, I'm talking to you 
right now for just a minute, just you. Unity among believers cannot be overemphasized. I cannot overemphasize unity among believers in the church enough. It, it cannot be done. It doesn't mean that we're all the same. We all have to look the same, act the same. God is certainly a creator of diversity. But unity means that we're all pulling on the same side of the rope, the same end, all together in the same motion, doing the same things together for the same purpose. Living our faith, walking our faith, worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And I can, I can guess that, that most of you, if you're a believer, at some point or another have suffered from seeing disunity in the church. Perhaps something that has hurt you, hurt other people. Uh, sometimes there, there are reasons for, some, uh, for disunity, but they're few because most of the time disunity is a preference. I like it this way and it's not the way I like it. I cannot overestimate the importance of unity among believers. In this kind of interaction with each other that Paul's talking about absolutely leads to that because humility and gentleness, love and, and, and all that is about sacrifice and giving up what we think things should be like. But also, when he says one all those times, I think he was setting up a contrast to the culture. If you believe in one God, and one hope, and one Savior, and one Father God, a Father God over all, then you are, set, you are in contrast, you are setting yourself up as different than what most people believe globally. Because what we do is just like the Ephesians and what people do in our town especially is we pick the different things that we like and we put them together and create this pluralistic thing that is an amalgamation of the things that are the best about all these different faiths. You've seen it happen. You hear it all the time. I won't go into details or examples that I've seen, but we can't just... That, that's not Picking our own thing is not following truth. Truth is above and beyond us. So just choosing things and putting them together is, that, is not a legitimate way to proceed in life. However, we all do it, and especially religiously or spiritually in our community. So it's important to know that there is a relevant difference in saying that there is one, one God, one faith, one hope, one Savior, one Father. Living our faith, walking our faith, is relevant because it's undivided, it's unified, it's impossible, and it's living. Let me, let me close with just a, a brief little illustration of that. Um, I, uh, I grew up in, in, the sur- in the suburbs. And so my friends and I, and some of you probably grew up like this too, you know, on our bikes as elementary school kids, we knew like every like alley and every cut through between every house, you know, chase each other around and stuff. At one time of the year, there were these trees in our town that would bloom and produce this fruit. And these were mulberry trees, which you never see mulberries in the grocery store. I don't know why, but they're really good. And so at that time of the year, in, in the su- I guess it was in the summer, we would, uh, we would know where all the mulberry trees were in, in our neighborhood. And often they were behind fences and backyards and stuff. So we would, 
right down, and we'd sneak over the fence and climb up the trees. And mulberry trees were easy to, to climb. We'd get up in the trees, and we would just pull those, that fruit off. We'd all know where the biggest you know, one was, and we'd all go there. And we'd eat as much as we could before we felt bad. And then we would get down, and we'd get back on our bikes. And mulberries, you know, they're like blackberries. They, they get stuff all over you. So you've got it like on your teeth and your lips and stuff, your little kids, all dirty from the fruit of the tree. We knew where the trees were. We went there to get what they had. We loved those things. Christianity, following Christ, is relevant in our community because people want that fruit that comes when people know and abide in Jesus. They want that. We wanted it at one point. And we want it still when, we, when we're trying to walk with Jesus. We want to see that fruit. It's relevant to us. And as believers, y'all, we want to get the taste of Christ on everyone that we can so that they can make a decision about following him. So, live worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Live your faith in Christ because it's relevant in our culture today. Pray for us. God, we... Uh, we confess that sometimes we, are, we feel weak and we feel like we should hide what we believe. And um, Lord, I thank you for the boldness of Paul who, though in prison, would write about the joy of following you and the joy of knowing you. And I, I God, just ask that you would ask each one of us, or help each one of us to ask the question of ourselves, what would it look like if we were to live that way, the way that Paul describes And may, Lord, we abide in you and find that strength in you. And may you produce fruit in us that our community, our culture, our friends, our classmates, parents, children, whoever, Lord, that we're interacting with, we pray that that they would want that fruit and get a little bit of it on them so that they can um, know you and have a chance to come to know you. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys have a wonderful afternoon. Say hi to each other on the way out.